Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids, and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Catherine Sweet about her novels. After today, you will have heard about writing since you could hold a pen, starting with fan fiction, learning how to market your books, rewriting your characters, overcoming typos that make it into your manuscript, formulating your spicy scenes, and sometimes having characters that take over your story. I want to make a disclaimer for these two episodes. We do talk trigger warnings and some details that may be harmful for some listeners. Love stories are... You know the term, write what you know? Generally, it implies you're writing about your life, not plagiarizing someone else's tale. Because if you do, you better hope they don't find out. Vinny's professional life? Fine. His personal life? Consists of helping everyone with whatever they need whenever they ask. He's always been an afterthought, the supporting character in the story. On impulse, he writes a book based on his brother's love story and sends it to a publishing company. Anna's professional life? Great. Her personal life? Contained neatly within one building. Her office, apartment, and little black cat. When she snatches a book out of her co-worker's trash can, she has no clue how her life is about to change. Anna wants his book. Vinny doesn't want his family to know what he wrote. To explain the time they'll be spending together, they agree to act as a couple. No one will realize Vinny's publishing a book with Anna's company. And Anna can keep creeps from hitting on her at upcoming events. Love Stories R is the second book in the Goodrow Brothers duet, continuing the story of Matt and Vinny's lives. This time, the focus is on Vinny and what happened at the end of Love Is. With feelings, swears, and spice... This foray into fake dating is the perfect friends-to-lovers treat. Grab your favorite drink and pick up a copy today. So what were the, um, because you said you pretty much knew early on that you were going to self-publish. Was there any particular reason you decided to go that route instead of attempting the other? Yeah, I I knew I wanted to tell the story my way. And Mm -hmm. I looked into querying and when you look into querying, they like give you the guidelines that your story is supposed to fall into. Right. You're writing like, like this kind of book, it needs to be this kind of word count and, you know, different like things. And then I just, a lot of the stuff I was just looking at to market. And I know that's how an agent's going to look at a book Mm -hmm. is they're going to look at it. Like, is this going to fit in a niche that we can just go out? Right. When I know my books don't fit that. And so I was like, I don't, first of all, I'm not going to cut 60,000 words words out of my first, right, out of my, I'm like, because usually with the rom-com, they're right around, they're between like 80 and 90, like ish, Uh, 60, 
Well, depending. Yeah. Everyone that right. I've done and, has been around 60 or 70. Right. So like they're for me, they're on the shorter side. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I could tell a story in that many words. Um, but also I have in both chapters, I have a cutout chapter. I have a flashback chapter that you see the POV from somebody who you've seen in the book, but you haven't seen their voice in the entire book. Yeah. And no one's going to want to keep that. Nobody's yeah. going to want that sudden like record scratch. That's not going to, that's not to market. That's not yeah. what's selling. And I knew that I wasn't going to budge and I wanted the control to be like, no, I want to tell the story my way and my voice. And that doesn't mean that I can't improve or that there's critique of my book that isn't valid because mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't like it or if you think it's got problems, please feel free to let me know. Are you uh, wondering but, why he's gagging her in chapter two? <laughs> right, exactly. This is a very valid question. I'd be like, well, it's a typo. Why do you have a copy of that? Who do, who gave you that book? Um, <laughs> I should know everyone who has those copies, <laughs> but like, but, but, I still want to tell it my voice. Right. Like I, I still want the vo- the book to be mine. And I knew that if I, that if I went with a query and I went with an agent, some of that voice would be chipped away. And I wasn't mm-hmm. willing to do that. Right. So for me, it, it was worth it to learn all of the things and be terrorized by the publishing process uh, of doing it self-published to be able to hang on to that. And to be able to I have mean, the voice told the story told no words. I feel like eventually though, like it's only it's a terrible learning curve for the first couple books. And then yes. once you get it down, once you learn, like one of the authors that I have narrated quite a few words for like books for, um, was like, you know, at the beginning it took a long time to figure out how to format it, and now it takes her like 30 minutes and she's got the whole book for- formatted because she's done it a bunch of times. Like right. The things now, the marketing, that's always, you know, if you're not marketing your book anywhere ever, um, no one's going to buy it because they don't know it exists. <laughs> so, right. I mean, there, there's just that little tiny part <laughs> that you have to do. Right. right. Even and if it's that's... learning. It's learning. Sorry, go ahead. It's learning. It's learning hooks. It's learning yeah. like how you get the attention because like. Yes, my book is spicy, but I wouldn't put it in the spicy book category because yeah. it is definitely not an erotica. It is not a yeah. super spicy book. There is spice in the book, and it's good spice, I've been told by a bunch of people. <laughs> so like I'm I'm very I'm very happy about that, but I wouldn't put it in an erotica category. It's yeah. written in third person, and I know some people who cannot stand third person. Yeah. You're whatever book you write is not going to be for everybody. Right. So like it's learning how to draw that audience in and what way you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's which is going to be different your... for every author. Right. And even every book, even mm-hmm. within every, like, like everything's there's one of the first people that I had read the second book outside of like the writing groups I'm a part of mm-hmm. um, saw a TikTok where I mentioned that the male main character was demisexual okay, and specifically read the book because of that. Didn't normally do billionaire romance, but wanted to read it because she saw that in my TikTok. She's like, I don't see characters that are demisexual very often, mm-hmm. and especially not guys. Yeah. So like, that's different. That's odd. 
and really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean, first of all, yay, validation. But like, but but I might not have caught her with any of the other TikToks that I did on it. Right. But because that one hit just right caught our attention. But and yeah, I've it just is... seen um I don't remember the author, but one who wrote a lesbian um coffee shop or tea house or I don't know, lesbian something, same thing. Like someone came across and saw that and like a bunch of people were angry that that's what it is. And she's like, it's literally in the blurb. <laughs> right. Like, so she was talking about, she ended up, she she actually posted on TikTok and was like, this is in my book. Should I put like a banner on the Amazon listing? And they're like, yeah. So she now it, now it says that. <laughs> There's a banner on the listing. <laughs> lesbians here <laughs> like, I love it if you miss if it. you miss the banner the giant banner across the Amazon listing that is on you <laughs> well I, and that's a thing yeah like I too often like we hear like oh well there needs to be a trigger warning if it's not a heterosexual couple but do we but yeah. do we need a trigger warning for that do you, I don't do you realize like you. it's 2022 like or 2023 oh my god it's 2023 now it's only only February exactly it still counts but like but yeah and it's like no no this is not it's no a a trigger warning is so like in the first book deals with pregnancy so one of the trigger warnings is you know Pregnancy. pregnancy pregnancy complication and all of those things those can be triggers yes um there is a serious but not fatal thing that happens within the book okay um and and i know to some people it could be super triggering Uh so i have like that little like potential you know pregnancy loss you know as a trigger because Uh god forbid somebody who's not in the right place picks up this book and it is a comfort like it's it's like a comfy book and it's like again it's funny and sweet but Uh there is that section of the book that might upset somebody and i don't i don't want somebody to come into my book blind and get hurt like that is that's not the goal i want you to laugh and enjoy the book and be like oh my god there are even yes um... he is these day or like I've seen a few like ACX auditions for audiobooks where they put the triggers in the audition. So it's like if you are someone triggered by like these things, we don't we don't want you right. to like like be aware right. that these are in there. Not that you can't do the book, but like be aware. Um, and I've had some yeah. that come to me and they're like, are you OK with X, Y, Z? And I'm like, I don't have any issues with anything. Just like give me whatever you want to. Right. right. <laughs> And I think I think that's one of the the best things about independent publishing and people working independently is that I think we've grown to be more aware and more sensitive of those things and mm-hmm. we've learned how to do those things better as a way to equip a reader or a listener to know what's coming and to know if that's going to be something they're comfortable with versus being blindsided. Let's be um, real here. It's because as independent authors, you listen to the feedback from readers where publishers are going to cut all that out to make it more palatable. Right. Right. Not I all. Not remember. all. Because I do know, well, no. like I talked to A.K. Mulford several months ago and like that was one of her stipulations was you're not going to, you know, white, essentially right. whitewash my books. And they were like, no, you can do them right. how you want to. Um, so there are yes. some people 
can get that type contract. Yeah. Some people will not get that type contract. Right. Well, and I think, and with, with me being older and, and from a time when I remember like reading, fan, again, fanfiction.net. So we're talking mm-hmm. about before the tags were a thing and like, there might be a disclaimer in there or like a, a notation, but not everybody did them. Right. Like you were reading blind. I remember reading this would have been pre-therapy being acceptable too. Right. Right. Exactly. So this is like, we're talking circa like 2001, 2002. So Mm -hmm. like a hundred years ago, um, it feels like. (laughs) And so like, feels like that long ago. I remember, I don't remember anything about the story. I don't remember what fandom it is. I don't remember what it is. And it did not show the assault, but it showed the aftermath of uh, a child being hurt by an Mm -hmm. adult in a very inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. And the kid was drinking orange juice and how it burned his throat after what he had gone through. Mm. I couldn't drink orange juice for six months. Like I still like when I see orange juice, like again, it's 20 mm. years and I still remember it. Like it is yes. burned in my brain. I remember that it wasn't writ- written in an exploitative way. Mm-hmm. Like, but God, I wish that there would have been a warning. <laughs> Like yes. to, to like skip this chapter myself. or something. Yeah. Right. And I definitely did not. And it was, I remember it being so upsetting. And like again, like every time I was like, oh, do you want orange juice? No. Absolutely <laughs> not. I don't I will no. take literally <laughs> anything else anything but orange juice. Black black coffee, even though I don't bring cl- black coffee. Yes, please. Give the give the scalding hot liquid with no cream, no sugar, and no ice. I'll just burn my throat. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Anything but the orange juice. Yeah, that's... Um, I don't know that I've read... I've been surprised. So, like, I got... Not me specifically. I came across a TikTok where they were recommending um, the American Queen series. Okay, yeah. that one and then another one by that author. Same person was recommending her stuff. And so I picked up the first series, which was not the American Queen one. I can't remember the name of it now. Can't remember the name of the author either. It's Saturday. My brain is fried. Anyway, so I pick oh. up this series. I don't read the blurb. I'm just like, oh, it was recommended. I've liked some of the other books that she recommended. So I just like, you know, buy the whole series as one does and yeah. start reading through it. And I'm like, this is the spiciest series I've ever read in my entire life and I'm like I didn't and we're like on a road trip to my in-laws house who are like very from the bible belt oh no (laughs) and so so we're in the car and I'm reading the book and it's like a nine-hour drive so I finish the book by the time we get there I do not read the next book in the series while we are there I wait until we're on the drive home (laughs) And then, um, so then I pick up the American Queen series, knowing what I was probably in for at that point, because I read the other series. Um, But it was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like, what am I doing? My my friend had the the nightmare scenario happen. So her uh, fiance, uh, her little girl got, his little girl got a uh, karaoke machine for Christmas. Okay. Bluetooth enables. Do we see where this is going? So it's oh. at the in-laws' house. Fun. And right, and it connected to her phone. 
Like, uh-huh. And I'm sure I'm sure she was watch listening to a very very appropriate yeah. audiobook at the time. Yeah, she definitely she definitely was it. And she got it turned off thankfully in one sentence where it wasn't like a bad sentence, but it was like leading to a bad sentence. She goes, "I have never deleted anything off of my phone so fast." She goes, "I texted my fiance and was like, you need to come right now and be home because I need to be not here. Because <laughs> nobody heard it, but I know and I can't be here. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I need to not be anywhere in the vicinity. <laughs> yeah, that's it is, my family it, all knows I narrate. They have no idea what I narrate and I'd rather keep it that way. Um, while I am fine saying all the words, I don't want them so a few family, a few, a few family members do know what name I narrate under and have listened to some of my audiobooks. Um, I just tell them anyone who I am willing to give the name to, I'm like, just read the blurb first, because I won't be held responsible if you stumble into me narrating a spicy scene and you are uncomfortable by it. That was that was the first thing. Like I got done with the first book, and I was like, and, and I. My whole family knew I was working on it. And uh-huh. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And there's a spicy scene in the book. And I'm like, and then I realized like probably about three weeks before I was done, I was like, oh, my family's going to read this. Oh, my family's going to read this book. Oh. Nope. My family oh, will no. not ever be told the name that I write under unless it just so happens to eventually be revealed, which reality is it will eventually happen. Um. I would like to prolong that as long as possible. (laughs) My grandma goes, I didn't think it was that bad. I've read worse than that. I was like, I can't know that. I can't. You're like, grandma. No, no, grandma. No, I can't. I can't know that. Please and thank you. We're not having this chat. We are not spicy book club friends. No. No, I have told my family they can ask me anything about my books except for those scenes. I will talk about anything else with you. We will not discuss those. You pretend that chapter doesn't exist when we're chatting. Yes, um, yes. No, absolutely not. Well, and and for and again, I religious household. I'm from Michigan, like very like bible belty area i went to a christian school uh, like like my whole like education like pre-k through high school graduation so like yeah okay. i had someone go oh you wrote a book should i oh, i should read it and i'm like uh just just so you're aware <laughs> just just just, just a you know. little little like, disclaimer <laughs> oh and i had one uh old school mate that goes think i'm gonna read it but good for you i was like see that's a that is an acceptable answer thank you thank you for that that is we cool man (laughs) and then was it three weeks three weeks after i published the first one i had an old school mate that messaged me to tell them how disappointed they were in me you're like for writing a book like that okay (laughs) i was like okay bye (laughs) last i checked i graduated and it doesn't matter your opinion anymore so I'm a whole adult. Listen, I understand that you still think of me as 15 and that's cool, but I'm not. My husband was being a turd the other day and he was like, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Writing spicy scenes, I think I was talking about. And he's like, but 
just make sure that you're writing what Jesus would approve of. And I'm like, I'm like, excuse me, sir. You have on multiple occasions told me the fucked up backstory you've given your main character, so maybe don't judge. I am usually very snappy with my comebacks, like sarcasm is very natural for me, and I just stood there in silence staring at him for like two minutes, like I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> I... I came up with, again, so I, I, my friend did my, like, astrological chart. Okay. And I'm I'm Virgo, like, all the way down. And she's okay. like, are you are you okay? I was like, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I am an elder millennial, and I was, I'm a Virgo. No, there is nothing about me that's okay. Um, that's why I write. I live in my fantasy world. Um, that's I August, right? A, uh it's like september um yeah i think that's like me august too september. though yeah like end yeah. of august is when my birthday is i i am i am yeah. <laughs> no, all the way down yeah. all three of them and she's like oh my god i was like yeah and i wrote a spreadsheet to write spicy scenes with like words like ed- broken down by adjective verb and noun <laughs> So, like, it's easy to reference. So you took a clinical approach to writing spicy scenes. I did. So when I write, oh, my God. Okay, so this is my process of writing spicy scenes. If if you're weird-brained like I am. I write, essentially, a diagram first. Okay. Like, I use the most clinical terms of A, B, C, D. Like, these are the events that are going to happen in the spicy scene. Okay. And then I write them out very plainly. Okay. The first and then you fluff the second it. run. Fluff and it. then I fluff it to the way the character responds. Because I write third person, but I write third person with limited omniscience. So you get okay. to see into that character's head and it right. has their twist of their voice. Mm-hmm. So first book is a great example. So the first book, uh, yeah, Sarah, Sarah is pregnant uh, when they have sex. Um because again, it's twist on the external pregnancy trope. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, we're going to normalize this. Um, and we're going to do this. But Matt is very direct. He is very to the point. Uh-huh. He's very caring. He just, he's grumpy. Um, uh-huh. So it doesn't always come across that way. Vinny, on the other hand, is poetic. Okay. Like, Vinny likes to write. And he is neurodivergent. Um, he has a different way of looking at things. Uh-huh. He's demisexual. Anna's a lot more experienced than him. Uh, there is a line at the beginning that says, and I love it, it's one of my favorite lines, is the amount of erotica he had consumed in the last week was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> because he's like, I'm going to do my homework. <laughs> gonna figure out what i'm doing most guys watch a porno he's like no i'm gonna read books written by women (laughs) because that's gonna give me more of a good idea i am literally prepping a manuscript to narrate right now that it's a male author but in in this book there is a old movie theater in like los angeles that used to be a porn theater 
And so it talks about how they are, um, you know, the guys will go there because if they don't release, they are going to have essentially cum coming out of their eyeballs. And so it talks about like the <laughs> how the surfaces have questionable things on them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like laughing so hard as I'm reading this and I'm like, I have to narrate this. <laughs> it's just a straight face. <laughs> oh, no. Probably probably with lots of stopping to laugh or be like, how am yeah. I gonna phrase this properly? <laughs> oh my god, I wish you all of the luck with that. I would die. <laughs> Thankfully, it's like one chapter, one relatively short chapter with all that description. I haven't read the rest of the book, so I don't know if there's more in the rest of the book yet. But (laughs) Well, and and I think, and and I always find that it's fun with spicy scenes to like put your character's personality in there and like like have it be reflective as of who they are. So uh, as a hilarious thing. So again, Vinny's demisexual. He isn't really he doesn't sleep with people like he doesn't connect he doesn't want to sleep with someone he hasn't connected with and uh-huh. he struggles to connect with people so it's not that he's sex averse it's just i don't want like to. you this enough for that yeah right he works at a strip club he works as he works at a two-story strip club the bottom <laughs> layer the bottom level is the traditional strip club Upstairs is like a burlesque house. They do burlesque shows, drag shows. It is gender inclusive. Okay. And so, obviously, he is around sex a lot and sex things. Yeah. Just not his thing. Yeah. And which is really fun to write as a character because, like, everybody's very comfortable around him Uh and, like, He's That'd just, be great if you were the boss there, though, because, like, you don't have to worry about him, like, messing with everybody inappropriately. Right. Right. And he is, like, he's he's very, he's very respectful and he's very forcibly, like, everyone deserves to be safe in their space. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's six foot two and he's, a he's like, imposing would be a good way to describe him. But he's constantly trying to take up as little space as possible. Okay. Because he doesn't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. So yeah. like he'll when the elevator he'll push his back to the wall. Mm-hmm. So that he's which for a guy is not your typical right like, forceful kind of thing. But he's it's the way he's always been. Mm-hmm. Everyone's told him he's weird, he's odd, you know. So he's trying to be invisible all the time. Mm-hmm. And versus Anna's personality. Anna's very comfortable with sex. Like, very comfortable. Like, so there's a line in uh, Book Lovers, Mm -hmm. if you've ever read it, um, where there's this funny line about how I'll email you has became this little meme that's like, after they passionately kiss, I'll email you. It became (laughs) this little meme about book lovers. Well, I have comparable in Love Stories are because essentially Anna's like hey do you want to go upstairs and Vinny's like um you're tired I should go I'll call you and he's like and her phone is broken he's like putting his shoes on as he gets out he's already out of her apartment putting on his second shoe I mean email I'll email you and he's like gone and Anna's like what the fuck what is wrong with this dude (laughs) 
that is not the reaction I usually get. Yeah. <laughs> like she comes to she she goes to see him and like apologizes. She's like, I'm so sorry if I made you uncomfortable. And he's like, Oh, uh, I mean, no, it's fine. I was fine. <laughs> Stay on your side of the table. <laughs> what to do with you? Yeah. No, and, and he's he's fascinated by her. Like he likes talking to her and he thinks she's an interesting person. Mm-hmm. But her attraction to him is instant. Like Yeah. Like even outside of knowing him. And it's not like and it's not like a love attraction. It's like, no, I'd sleep with that dude. Like, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know you well enough for that. And like it's this whole build of like feelings and emotions and how mm-hmm. we get there. And when you talk about like how you improve with every story mm-hmm. I can see my improvement as a writer from book one to book two mm-hmm. and every time I have somebody go oh I saw this I'm like oh my heart <laughs> <laughs> oh my heart it makes me so happy well that is the like, goal to like get better as you go and learn how to write the characters better and the dialogue better and like all that internal angst and stuff like that is like yes. the goal or should be the goal for everybody to like improve with everything you do exactly yeah like that's and for me that was really important like and the challenge in writing the, the second book is that everybody had opinions about the characters from the first uh, book because uh-huh. it's a duology and it, they're two brothers and they're very I don't want to use the word codependent because they're a little codependent. Because okay. um, they all, they, they were, they kind of, they grew up rough as in the case of a lot of, you know, books that we read. Mm-hmm. And so they had each other for a minute. That's pretty much all that they had. Mm-hmm. And so they are kind of hingy and depend on each other a lot. And so I knew I was going to overlap them. So I was making sure I got the characters in the right voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, God, if somebody argues with me that I got their personalities wrong, I can take that, right? I can take that criticism, right? I'm ready for that criticism that, like, I think I characterized my own characters badly. I'm ready for that. <laughs> I can I can take that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I solved that by my first round of betas. I had two, I had four beta readers on the first run, and I mm-hmm. had two that had read the first book and two that hadn't read the first book. Okay. So I could get a good gauge of could the book stand by itself if it had to. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, ew, I can't read the accidental pregnancy trope. That is no, no, absolutely not. But mm-hmm. I kind of want to read your second book. Could it stand alone? And it can. Okay. Um, there are definitely some, there's definitely some good winks and like it's, better if you read the first book right but you would it's not it doesn't really take away from the story of the second book and more of the world like you want to have the full complete right of what happens but well also like i love i mean there's i've read a lot of like romance series where it's like a 10 book series where each book you follow a different couple through the whole thing and i mean does it really matter that couple one has you know, three kids and you didn't see that relationship develop in book 10. No, it doesn't really matter. Right. But you're like, who are these people that are, you know, have these multiple kids? It's much better to have read it through yeah. the whole thing as opposed to just like jumping in at the end. Um, yeah. But I mean, each book, you know, generally does a brief like synopsis of the book before. But like, 
It's not the same as experiencing the whole book. <laughs> it's not. So I did. Okay. And I know it's a little corny, but I did this very kind of meta thing between the two books. So the little like, so when you read the blurb of the first book, it's, mm-hmm. um, have you heard the one about the, the um, small town girl who got knocked out by the ex-wife of an ex-con she never met? No, mm-hmm. you should. It's pretty good. So the second book starts with, um, you know, the fr- you know, the phrase, write what you know. Mm-hmm. If you're going to tell a love story, you probably shouldn't tell a love story from your family. So the 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 joke is, is that Vinny wrote the first book. <laughs> and that's how he met Anna. And so they're doing this whole fake dating thing. And so nobody figures out that he wrote that book. Because if anybody <laughs> figures out that he wrote that book, they're all going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Accurate. Like, no one could ever know. If ever, no one could know that I did this, that would be great. And it's like, well, then why'd you do it in the first place? I don't know. Because I did it. It was done. And I had to go somewhere with it. <laughs> don't know how to leave anything unfinished. I keep talking about, so my sister's second husband was the guy that she hired to mow her lawn after her husband left. And uh, I've had several people be like, yep, that that should be a book. I'm like, yes, it should. That should totally be a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's I, yes. I I would not write that because she is one of the people that knows my name that I use. <laughs> Don't plagiarize your family's love story. It goes badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've like I've mentioned it a couple times on here and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's you know, that is someone needs to write that book because it's like it's just too perfect for <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. No, that's that is yeah. Oh, I love that. That's too good. <laughs> I think I think that whole like truth is stranger than fiction. I think definitely like applies to certain couples. And, yes, like, you're like, how did you ever get together? You got together how? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Who is writing your book? Could they? Could they? Could they like <laughs> write a chapter of mine, please? Because like I could use some of that magic. <laughs> well, I'm constantly sending her stuff. The Zodiac Academy sisters. I send her those videos, and I'm like, this could be us if you would help me write books. <laughs> yeah i'm like i'm like we should totally do this it'll probably end up being me and my husband but like that's (laughs) he has like he has a plan for one he wants like me and him and his brother to write and i'm like okay i don't his brother his brother writes his brother's one of those like has written a bunch but has never published so he has like all these finished manuscripts that like he's too shy to publish um I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm like, at some point, we're just going to, like, raid your house and just publish all of these right. for you and then just, like, send the checks. Like, <laughs> Surprise! You're an author. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, fine. We control all the emails. You won't see any of the negative stuff. So yeah. we're going to hang out for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I okay, don't know. Don't. Now he's talking about, um, so I started writing, I started narrating fiction beginning of last year, and then I started writing, um, prior to that, I started writing a book because I'm like, no one's hiring me to narrate their fiction. I'm just going to write my own fiction and then I'll <laughs> narrate it myself. So I start writing and then in March, um, that's our anniversary. And so me and my husband were like somewhere for our anniversary and I'm talking about yeah. this book I'm writing and he's like, oh, yeah, I've had this book idea since I was in, like, junior high. 
and have never written it, but like I'm dyslexic, so I can't write and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, write your damn book, dude. I'm like, yeah, there, we can edit it. it. It'll be fine. And so now he, you were talking about missing that word. He will listen back to his book. He'll have it text to speech him. And so he's found a couple of like incorrect words used because of that because he spelled it the way it made sense in his brain. And then right. that that was not the word that he meant. So then he, you know, fixes it. Um, but yeah, that's there are a lot of barriers that people put up for themselves that are just not barriers. There's a, a writing group that I'm a part of, which I love. It's Discord. And uh, I'm one of the mods. And so each of the mods, we all have our little icon thing. Mm-hmm. That, like we can use as an emote and mine is me yelling to stop editing while you're <laughs> writing is because I am constantly screaming stop editing get it on the page get it on the page get it yeah. on the page edit later get it down you have been working on the same hundred words for 62 minutes continue with the story yeah. <laughs> go back and edit later but does not crucial to the entire plot of the book but that one sentence be correct right now yeah that's i do kind of so because my time is so limited for my writing at this point i do like a combination of one i was almost thirty thousand words in decided at the beginning of this year we're going to spend i hadn't worked on my book for six months was like we're going to spend at least 10 minutes a day working on this book so what do i have to do after six months off i have to read through it again because I don't remember what I wrote six months ago. So I just straight read through. There was no editing unless there was like a very obvious, oh, my gosh, that's right. wrong. Then I you know correct that real quick. Um, but I read through it. And as I'm reading through it, I'm like, this needs to be set way further in the future. So then I had to go back once I'd read through it the first time and add in because I don't want to spend knowing that this book is going to be big. Um, like probably 120, 150,000 words big. I'm like, I don't want to have to, you know, I need to figure this out now so that I can get the rest of the book correctly. So now I'm having to go back through. And also I wrote some of it in past tense and it should be in present tense. So I'm having to fix that too. <laughs> but that's an easy, like a word here or word there issue. Not, yeah. not, I'm not, not doing any major um, other than mine, has a whole lot of dialogue and almost no inner dialogue. So I'm slowly adding the inner dialogue in to make it, you know, more full as a story. Because I know that spending, like, it will take me forever to edit through this if I just wait till I get to the end and then do all the edits. Right. I'm like, it'll take me years right. if I do it that way. So I'm like, we're going to we're going to somewhat edit as we go and then <laughs> go from there. Right. And and I think that's something important for writers to remember that no, no process is going to be universally successful. Mm-hmm. So I have to get it all on the page and then write mm-hmm. and then go back and edit and then fill in my foreshadowing after the book is done. Mm-hmm. go back and write the foreshadowing into the early chapters versus what I've written at the end mm-hmm. so that's my process that's what works for me I there's another writer in our group she has to edit as she goes mm-hmm. like she has to like it has to be her level of perfection at that moment before she can continue on 
mm-hmm. and she'll write like a page at a time and like my brain just breaks every time I was like I do not understand like I I I don't I don't get it but she doesn't understand my process like that yeah. makes no sense to her like why on earth would you write out the entire thing what if what if you wrote a plot hole and and now you got to change the whole manuscripts from that plot hole forward and I just laugh and I was like, I, I just change it. She's like, the whole thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> uh, yes. It's so part of the do. job. I'm not the only person to ever have had to do that. <laughs> right. Right. Now, like, I did just... see a really cool video on TikTok talking about like how to fill the plot holes. And like they said, basically, if you have a hole, write a chapter. As if, like, you're filling that hole with this chapter. And then you cut the chapter, cut that chapter up into sections and you print out all the rest of your chapters. And then at the top of each chapter, you write, like, what's about that, you know, what that chapter is about. Yeah. So that you can fit yeah. these sections of this plot hole chapter mm-hmm. in as you go. So you're not rewriting the whole thing, you're just rewriting around that, you know, chunk you're adding in. So you may have to add an extra. Like you know, a couple paragraphs instead of, I cannot take credit. I don't remember who it was on TikTok, but it like stuck in my head is like, that is perfect. So you don't have to rewrite a whole book. (laughs) I like that. Now, there are instances where, yes, like your character (laughs) being completely wrong personality, that's different. Um, But not every time does it require an entire rewrite. (laughs) Well, and, and, I had an unanswered question. So my mother and I will argue about this until the day one of us passes away. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to write a second book. Um, okay. Self-doubt, imposter syndrome. I wanted to, but I didn't know if it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I left the end of book one open. Okay. You could tell in my mind what was going to happen after the, the, the credits rolled. Mm-hmm. On, on the end of book one you kind of knew what what we were doing my mother argued that it was too open-ended and she needed the question answered so she <laughs> threatened me that if i didn't answer the question in the second book she was going to disown me or you know, do something equally, you know emotionally damaging so i was like okay so when i wrote the second book i wrote in the answer like three times as i was writing because again i'm a planter so yeah. while I know where I'm going, I kind of weave my way through the story. Yeah. And so my first read through, I was like, oh, I've already mentioned this. So I yeeted it out. Yeah. The problem is, is that ED, I, I took out all three of them. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so my alpha reader, Nikki comes back and she goes, hey, um, are we going to find out what this is? Did we not write that scene? And I'm like, no, I wrote it so many times that I wrote, I took it out all three of them instead of leaving one in. I'm just going to go put one of those back now. Um, <laughs> so the audience knows what's happening. Which I is apologize. where keeping all those parts that you took out would be helpful because you had yeah. it three times. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I literally combined like two of them. Okay. Where I needed it to be for the answer. I was like, oh, I like this line here and this line here. And I'm going to paste it. Now I'm going to wiggle around it and make it. I've done that with a couple. It's always there. 
I did that with a couple. Um, I've had two books now where I've done this, where it would be like the characters said in unison or whatever, and it'll have like the whatever it is that they're saying. So one in one of the books, it was like a marriage kind of ceremony, and they were like saying their weird vows because it was yeah. dystopian, so the vows were different. And so like where the book was written as like they said it in unison, or it may have been from one perspective, but then you never heard the other one. I would flip every sentence back and forth between voices, so you got this like Ooh. cool thing and I just did it in another book where they were doing a I don't know magical crystal draining power ceremony thing and it's the same thing like they're saying the same thing and so like he starts it and then it has it all from her perspective but they're like supposed to be saying it at the same time so I'm like we're just gonna flip back and forth here yeah so and it sounds sounds really cool even though like the first author that listen she was like oh my god i loved how you did that and i'm like that is what i was hoping your reaction would be <laughs> yeah so you I, try things and sometimes they're like no no <laughs> right so i i ground i ground in my stories so i'll use a phrase that i'll repeat mm-hmm. um, and again you have to temper that can't do it all the time or it becomes right. wonky and weird but I do this thing where I'll use a phrase, two phrases to ground, and it'll typically be one character saying it and the other responding. And it okay. kind of becomes like a running thing. And I I can't spoil it, but I did it in the second book. And that was essentially the end of the second book, mm-hmm. um, minus the little epilogue that I wrote. And I got to see one of the beta readers finish it in real time. Okay. <laughs> When she got to it, she goes, gonna cry. That was perfect. I was like, yes! <laughs> so, so yes! real talk, if you need a narrator, I have openings at the end of the year. <laughs> and your books sound Ooh. fantastic. <laughs> I might I'm, I might be able to afford you. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to chat about that, because uh, that... that... <laughs> I would love to get them in audio format so they are more accessible. Yeah, we'll um, let we'll let you try and if you just cannot handle the spicy scenes. So hard. My 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 upbringing says you can't say that. And I'm like, but I wrote it. So like, yeah. yeah but you verbally you can't say that. No, but I wrote it. I described it in detail. Just put put yourself, this is what I do. I put myself in the head of the characters as if I am the character as I tell this story. And I feel like for me, that really, really helps as opposed to like, I'm just reading a book and we're going to read the words on the page and it's going to be like super (laughs) monotone and boring. Like, no, put yourself in the head as if you're yours is third person. So it's a little bit different. Um, but you yes. said it is like, cause I've done third person where it's like essentially a third person narrator. Like there's a whole separate voice I use for it. Or I've yeah. had a few where it's like, you know, you're in that person's head. So I told it in that character's voice. Um, yeah. so like, you know, two different ways to approach it. But like, if you just put yourself in the head of the character, yeah. <laughs> it's easier. Cause then you're like, it's not the- me, it's the character. <laughs> The description I use is at the beginning of the scene, and most most scenes they put pops between uh, POVs, mm-hmm. is that the character you are walking through it says, okay, hold my hand, it's time to go. You're going to see everything I see, let's go. And you yeah. walk through it with their, with their like, mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, again, the, the 
So Supernatural is the example I use often to describe the brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have seen Supernatural, yes. familiar with it. Yes. Um, it is a very uh, Sam and Dean kind of vibe between the brothers. Okay. Um, Matt has Dean sort of like, <laughs> kind of like yippee dog, like kind of like, Short Why are you doing that, is... you idiot? <laughs> right. Matt's shorter, too. And he's the older brother, and he's shorter. That was not intentional. It just happened. But, like, he's got that, like, barky, more like, you're a dumbass. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. And you have Vinny, who's more intelligent and more quiet and more, like, looks at everything from the different angles and is a fucking smartass. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, has all the little sassy, like, one-liners where he's like, in the like in the first book, when when you get the the, the little bit of what's going on, because mm-hmm. we start with like this the first page of the first book is Matt's ex wife coming to tell him that hey uh, you know how we slept together and I got mad at you afterwards I kind of uh, stole your sperm sample and knocked somebody else up with it. <laughs> Like that's like that's like the first three pages, and Matt's like, I didn't ask for any of this. Now, was I dumb and slept with my ex-wife? Yes, you know, it yeah, gave me a point for that. Yeah, but the uncle is trying to figure out what happened, and Vinny's line is essentially, um, his psychotic ex-wife stole the sperm sample she made him made him give before he got snipped and knocked up some prima or er, some virginal prima donna with it, and now she's uh. Going to have his demon spawn, citing moral reasons. <laughs> is like, <laughs> it's like what? That's what happens. Like, that's me. <laughs> but again, like they are, they are a ton of fun to write. And Vinny's just like all of the sass and all of the sweet. He's like the sweetest cinnamon roll boy. Um, and Matt is very loving. He just comes across as aggressive. <laughs> Thank you again so much. Bye. Catherine has always liked the story her grandmother told her about a woodcutter and a fairy. From what I can tell, the wood sprite is the closest to what she described from Celtic mythology. Celtic mythology is the body of myths belonging to the Celtic peoples. Celtic myth influenced later Arthurian legend. Today we'll be reading The Storyteller at Fault from Celtic folk and fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The Storyteller at Fault At the time when the Tua de Danon held the sovereignty of Ireland, there reigned in Leinster a king, who was remarkably fond of hearing stories, Like the other princes and chieftains of the island, he had a favorite storyteller, who held a large estate from his majesty, on condition of telling him a new story every night of his life, before he went to sleep. Many indeed were the stories he knew, so that he had already reached a good old age without failing even for a single night in his task. And such was the skill he displayed that whatever cares of state, or other annoyances might prey upon the monarch's mind— His storyteller was sure to send him to sleep. One morning, the storyteller arose early, and as his custom was, strolled out into his garden, turning over in his mind incidents which he might weave into a story for the king at night. But this morning, he found himself quite at fault, 
After pacing his whole domain, he returned to his house without being able to think of anything new or strange. He found no difficulty in, there was once a king who had three sons, or one day the king of all Ireland. But further than that, he could not get. At length he went in to breakfast, and found his wife much perplexed at his delay. Why don't you come to breakfast, my dear? said she. I've no mind to eat anything, replied the storyteller. Long as I've been in the service of the King of Leinster, I'd never sat down to breakfast without having a new story ready for the evening. But this morning my mind is quite shut up, and I don't know what to do. I might as well lie down and die at once. I'll be disgraced forever this evening, when the king calls for his storyteller. Just at this moment the lady looked out of the window. Do you see that black thing at the end of the field? said she. I do, replied her husband. They drew nigh and saw a miserable-looking old man lying on the ground with a wooden leg placed beside him. Who are you, my good man? asked the storyteller. Oh, then tis little matter who I am. I'm a poor, old, lame, decrepit, miserable creature sitting down here to rest a while. And what are you doing with that box and dice I see in your hand? I'm waiting here to see if anyone will play a game with me, replied the beggar man. Play with you? Why, what has a poor old man like you to play for? I've one hundred pieces of gold in this leathern purse, replied the old man. You may as well play with him, said the storyteller's wife, and perhaps you'll have something to tell the king in the evening. A smooth stone was placed between them, and upon it they cast their throws. It was but a little while, and the storyteller lost every penny of his money. Much good may it do you, friend, said he. What better hap could I look for, fool that I am? Will you play again? asked the old man. Don't be talking, man. You have all my money. Haven't you chariot and horses and hounds? Well, what of them? I'll stake all the money I have against thine. Nonsense, man. Do you think for all the money in Ireland I'd run the risk of seeing my lady tramp home on foot? Maybe you'd win, said the Boko. Maybe I wouldn't, said the storyteller. Play with him, husband, said his wife. I don't mind walking if you do, love. I've never refused you before, said the storyteller, and I won't do so now. Down he sat again, and in one throw lost horses, hounds, and chariot. Will you play again? asked the beggar. Are you making game of me, man? What else have I to stake? I'll stake all my winnings against your wife, said the old man. A storyteller turned away in silence, but his wife stopped him. Accept his offer, said she. This is the third time, and who knows what luck you may have. You'll surely win now. They played again, and the storyteller lost. No sooner had he done so than to his sorrow and surprise, his wife went and sat down near the ugly old beggar. Is that the way you're leaving me? said the storyteller. Sure, I was one, said she. You would not cheat the poor man, would you? Have you any more to stake? asked the old man. You know very well I have not, replied the storyteller. I'll stake the whole now, wife and all against your own self, said the old man. Again they played, and again the storyteller lost. Well, here I am. And what do you want with me? I'll soon let you know, said the old man. And he took from his pocket a long cord and a wand. 
Now, said he to the storyteller, what kind of animal would you rather be? A deer, a fox, or a hare? You have your choice now, but you may not have it later. To make a long story short, the storyteller made his choice of a hare. The old man threw the cord round him, struck him with the wand, and lo, a long-eared, frisking hare was skipping and jumping on the green. But it wasn't for long. Who but his wife called the hounds and set them on him? The hare fled. The dogs followed. Round the field ran a high wall so that run as he might. He couldn't get out. And mightily diverted were beggar and lady to see him twist and double. In vain did he take refuge with his wife. She kicked him back again to the hounds, until at length the beggar stopped the hounds, and with the stroke of the wand panting and breathless, the storyteller stood before them again. And how did you like the sport? said the beggar. It might be sport to others, replied the storyteller, looking at his wife. For my part, I could well put up with the loss of it. Would it be asking too much? He went on to the beggar. To know who you are at all, or where you come from, or why you take a pleasure in plaguing a poor old man like me. Oh, replied the stranger, I'm an odd kind of good for little fellow. One day poor, another day rich. But if you wish to know more about me or my habits, come with me, and perhaps I may show you more than you would make out if you went alone. I'm not my own master to go or stay, said the storyteller with a sigh. The stranger put one hand into his wallet and drew out of it before their eyes a well-looking middle-aged man, to whom he spoke as follows. By all you heard and saw since I put you into my wallet, take charge of this lady and of the carriage and horses, and have them ready for me whenever I want them. Scarcely he said these words when all vanished, and the storyteller found himself at the fox's ford, near the castle of Red Hugh O'Donnell. He could see all, but none could see him. O'Donnell was in his hall, and heaviness of flesh and weariness of spirit were upon him. Go out, said he to his doorkeeper, and see who or what may be coming. The doorkeeper went, and what he saw was a lank gray beggar man, half his sword bared behind his haunch, his two shoes full of cold rode away wish water sousing about him, the tips of his two ears out through his old hat, his two shoulders out through his scant, tattered cloak, and in his hand a green wand of holly. Save you, O'Donnell, said the lank gray beggar man. And you likewise, said O'Donnell. Whence come you, and what is your craft? I come from the outmost stream of earth, from the glens where the white swans glide. A night in Islay, a night in Man, a night on the cold hillside. It's the great traveler you are, said O'Donnell. Maybe you've learned something on the road. I am a juggler, said the lank gray beggar man, and for five pieces of silver you shall see a trick of mine. You shall have them, said O'Donnell. And the lank gray beggar man took three small straws and placed them in his hand. The middle one, said he, I'll blow away. The other two I'll leave. Thou canst do it, said one and all. But the lank gray beggar man put a finger on either outside straw and whiff, away he blew the middle one. "'Tis a good trick,' said O'Donnell. And he paid him his five pieces of silver. "'For half the money,' said one of the chief's lads. "'I'll do the same trick.' "'Take him at his word, O'Donnell.' The lad put the three straws on his hand. 
and a finger on either outside straw and he blew. And what happened but that the fist was blown away with the straw? Thou art sore and thou wilt be sore, said O'Donnell. Six more pieces, O'Donnell, and I'll do another trick for thee, said the lank gray beggar man. Six shalt thou have. Seest thou my two ears? One I'll move, but not the other. Tis easy to see them. They're big enough. But thou canst never move one ear and not the two together. The lank gray beggar man put his hand to his ear and he gave it a pull. O'Donnell laughed and paid him the six pieces. Call that a trick, said the fistless lad. Anyone can do that. So saying, he put up his hand, pulled his ear, and what happened was that he pulled away ear and head. Sore thou art, and sore thou it be, said O'Donnell. Well, O'Donnell, said the lank gray beggar man, strange are the tricks I've shown thee, but I'll show thee a stranger one yet for the same money. Thou hast my word for it, said O'Donnell. With that, the lank gray beggar man took a bag from under his armpit, and from out the bag a ball of silk. And he unwound the ball, and he flung it slantwise up into the clear blue heavens, and it became a ladder. Then he took a hair and placed it upon the thread, and up it ran. Again he took out a red-eared hound, and it swiftly ran up after the hair. Now, said the lank gray beggar man, has any one a mind to run after the dog and on the course? I will, said a lad of O'Donnell's. Up with you then, said the juggler. But I warn you, if you let my hair be killed, I cut off your head when you come down. The lad ran up the thread, and all three soon disappeared. After looking up for a long time, the lank gray beggar man said, I'm afraid the hound is eating the hair and that our friend has fallen asleep. Saying this, he began to wind the thread. And down came the lad fast asleep, and down came the red-eared hound, and in his mouth the last morsel of the hair. He struck the lad a stroke with the edge of his sword, and so cast his head off. As for the hound, if he used it no worse, he used it no better. It's little I'm pleased, and so I'm angered, said O'Donnell, that a hound and a lad should be killed at my court. Five pieces of silver twice over for each of them, said the juggler, and their head shall be on them as before. Thou shalt get that, said O'Donnell. Five pieces, and again five were paid him, and lo, the lad had his head and the hound his. And though they lived to the uttermost end of time, the hound would never touch a hair again, and the lad took good care to keep his eyes open. Scarcely had the lank gray beggar man done this when he vanished from out of their sight, and no one present could say if he'd flown through the air or if the earth had swallowed him up. He moved as wave tumbling or wave, as whirlwind following whirlwind, as a furious wintry blast, so swiftly, sprucely, cheerily, right proudly, and no stop made, until he came to the court of Leinster's king. He gave a cherry light leap or top of turret of court and city of Leinster's king. Heavy was the flesh and weary the spirit of Leinster's king. "'Twas the hour he was wont to hear a story, "'but send he might, right and left, "'not a jot of tidings about the storyteller could he get. "'Go to my door,' said he to his doorkeeper, "'and see if a soul is in sight "'who may tell me something about my storyteller.' "'The doorkeeper went, "'and what he saw was a lank gray beggar man, "'half his sword bared behind his haunch, "'his two old shoes full of cold roast-awaywish water "'sousing about him.' the tips of his two ears out through his old hat, 
his two shoulders out through his scant, tattered cloak, and in his hand a three-stringed harp. "'What canst thou do?' said the doorkeeper. "'I can play,' said the lank gray beggar man. "'Never fear,' added he to the storyteller. "'Thou shalt see all, and not a man shall see thee.' When the king heard a harper was outside, he bade him in. "'It is I that have the best harpers in the five-fifths of Ireland,' said he, and he signed them to play. They did so, and if they played, the lank gray beggar man listened. "'Hurtst thou ever the like?' said the king. "'Did you ever, O king, hear a cat purring over a bowl of broth, or the buzzing of beetles in the twilight, or a shrill-tongued old woman scolding your head off?' "'That I have often,' said the king." More melodious to me, said the lank gray beggar man, were the worst of these sounds than the sweetest harping of thy harpers. When the harpers heard this, they drew their swords and rushed at him. But instead of striking him, their blows fell on each other. And soon, not a man but was cracking his neighbor's skull and getting his own cracked in turn. When the king saw this, he thought it hard the harpers weren't content with murdering their music, but must needs murder each other. Hang the fellow who began it all, said he, and if I can't have a story, let me have peace. Up came the guards, seized the lank gray beggar man, marched him to the gallows and hanged him high and dry. Back they marched to the hall, and who should they see but the lank gray beggar man seated on a bench with his mouth to a flagon of ale? Never welcome you in, cried the captain of the guard. Didn't we hang you this minute? And what brings you here? Is it me myself, you mean? Who else? said the captain. May your hand turn into a pig's foot with you when you think of tying the rope. Why should you speak of hanging me? Back they scurried to the gallows, and there hung the king's favorite brother. Back they hurried to the king, who had fallen fast asleep. Please, your majesty, said the captain. We hang that strolling vagabond, but here he is back again as well as ever. Hang him again said the king, and off he went to sleep once more. They did as they were told, but what happened was that they found the king's chief harper hanging, where the lank gray beggar man should have been. The captain of the guard was sorely puzzled. Are you wishful to hang me a third time? said the lank gray beggar man. Go where you will, said the captain, and as fast as you please if you'll only go far enough. It's trouble enough you've given us already. Now you're reasonable, said the beggar man. And since you've given up trying to hang a stranger because he finds fault with your music, I don't mind telling you that if you go back to the gallows, you'll find your friends sitting on the sward, none the worse for what has happened. As he said these words, he vanished. And the storyteller found himself on the spot where they first met, and where his wife still was with the carriage and horses. Now, said the lank gray beggar man, I'll torment you no longer. There's your carriage and your horses and your money and your wife. Do what you please with them. For my carriage and my horses and my hounds, said the storyteller. I thank you. But my wife and my money you may keep. No, said the other. I want neither. And as for your wife, don't think ill of her for what she did. She couldn't help it. Not help it. Not help kicking me into the mouth of my own hounds. Not help casting me off for the sake of a beggarly old. I'm not as beggarly or as old as ye think. I am Angus of the Bruff. Many a good turn you've done me with the King of Leinster. 
This morning, my magic told me the difficulty you were in, and I made up my mind to get you out of it. As for your wife there, the power that changed your body changed her mind. Forget and forgive as man and wife should do. And now you have a story for the King of Lanester when he calls for one. And with that, he disappeared. It's true enough he now had a story fit for a king. From first to last, he told all that had befallen him. So long and loud laughed the king that he couldn't go to sleep at all. And he told the storyteller never to trouble for fresh stories. But every night, as long as he lived, he listened again, and he laughed afresh at the tale of the lank gray beggar man. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for Settle's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.